0: The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. The Nobel Peace Prize is an award given annually to a person or to an organization that has done something very significant to promote world peace. They've done things like helped end wars or they've combated poverty and starvation, or they have fought for human rights. For instance, President Teddy Roosevelt was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for helping end the Russian-Japanese War of 1904 and 1905. Martin Luther King Jr. was given the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts uh, to fight for uh, human and civil rights for African Americans here in the 1960s. And Mother Teresa was given the Nobel Peace Prize for showing great compassion upon the suffering and especially the poor in India. So it's a wonderful award given out every year to people and organizations. But do you know who should be winning the Nobel Peace Prize every single year? Who should be the greatest peacemakers this world has ever seen? We shouldn't be nations, or organizations, or even political leaders. But the greatest peacemakers on earth should be those who are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Jesus makes this point in the seventh beatitude recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So please turn with me to Matthew 5, verse 9. We looked at the seventh or the sixth beatitude this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now I want us to move on to the seventh beatitude in verse 9. And here in Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus declares, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want us to look at this beatitude under two points this evening. First, the peaceful description in the first part of this beatitude. And then secondly, the blessed designation in the second part of this beatitude. And we'll look at some applications under each heading. Uh, But let's uh, pray once more and ask God to bless our time together. Heavenly Father... We know that a man can receive nothing unless it comes to him from above. That we can receive no enlightenment, no benefit, no blessing from the preaching of the Word unless you come, Holy Spirit. And so as we have sung, come Holy Spirit, come, we pray and we plead, please come Holy Spirit, come. Enlighten our hearts, enlarge our our understandings and bend our wills so that we might... um, truly benefit and profit from your word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's first consider the peaceful description found in the first part of this beatitude. Jesus begins this beatitude by saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Well here, let's consider what it means to be a peacemaker and what it looks like to be a peacemaker. So first, what it means. This word peacemaker here is an adjective, it's made up of two words, you see that even in the English, peace and maker. So it comes from the word peace and it comes from the verb to do or to make. Basically it's telling us that this kind of person doesn't just possess peace, doesn't just study peace, doesn't just delight in peace, but he is also a peace doer, a peace practicer, a peacemaker. He goes out into the world and he makes peace. So pretty simple. But what exactly does it look like to be a peacemaker? What picture do the scriptures draw for us of this kind of person? Well, I think we see two things that are true of any biblical peacemaker as we If you study the word peace here, or peacemaker, we see two essential components of that throughout all of the Scriptures. So let's look at those two things. First, peacemakers are those who seek to end all strife, conflict, hostility, aggression, fighting, and warfare with others. So instead of coming to people or coming after people with a sword... Peacemakers come to them with a peace treaty. We have many literal examples of this happening throughout the Old Testament in regards to the nation of Israel. They were to offer terms of peace to their enemy nations in the land of Canaan before they would fight against them. So for instance, we find these directives in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 10 through 12. The Lord says, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. So from this and and from a lot of other examples that I don't have time to turn you to in the scriptures, we learn that one essential component of being a peacemaker is to not see people as our enemies any longer. Not to see people as those we need to besiege, those that we need to fight against, those we need to conquer, and those we need to destroy. That when we think about others and even those who do evil against us, our finger is not hovering over the nuclear button ready to push it and, and to cause a massive explosion instead we are to sheath our swords we are to unclench our fists we are to put down the weapons of our warfare and we are to seek to be at peace with our fellow man no matter who they are and no matter what they have done to us so we need to be those who who don't want to continue fighting continue the warfare with other people but that's only part of what peace looks like there's more of a positive component to peacemaking that we cannot overlook or neglect so secondly peacemakers also seek to cultivate friendly harmonious relationships with others so We're not simply to just tolerate people or not to hate people or just simply to be indifferent towards people, but we are also to care for them and love them and seek their welfare and do good to them and provide for them and be united with them and ultimately desire to see them reconciled with God. As you look throughout the Old Testament, there's this picturesque vision of peace that's portrayed in several different places. But the picture is a person sitting under his grapevine and under his fig tree. When the Old Testaments, I think, when they thought about peace, that's what they thought about. A man under his vine and his fig tree. Let me just read some of the passages which tell us this. Speaking about what life was like under the reign of King Solomon, we read this in 1 Kings chapter 4, 24 through 25. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. So the context is the great peaceful reign of King Solomon. And Verse 25 says, And Judah and Israel lived in safety, From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. But that's not just speaking about Solomon's reign. We have prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the greater than Solomon's reign, the Messiah's reign, and the same sort of language is used. This great picture of peace that the Messiah would bring... And it's described under these Old Testament terms of sitting under your vine and under your fig tree. For instance, Micah 4 verses 3 through 4 states, He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Similar description is found in Zechariah 3.10, which says, In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So what does peace look like? Well, peace looks like every man sitting under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, we're probably not familiar with what that is exactly like, but maybe for you, it looks like sitting under your mango tree by the pool on a breezy spring day with a cool drink in your hands. I was just sitting under Pastor Paul's mango tree. This afternoon, uh, a little bit of breeze came through, but it felt wonderful. But that's kind of the, the, the picture and even the feeling of what it means to be a peacemaker. Right? You're kicking back and relaxing. You don't have a care in the world. And you're enjoying it all with family and friends. That is the picture of peace. And so peacemakers are those who seek to have this sort of relationship with other people. They don't just have a truce or a ceasefire with their neighbor, but they call out to their neighbor, Hey friend, come over and sit under my vine and my fig tree. Come have a meal with me. Come spend time with me. I want to know how I can be a help and a blessing to you. That's really the essence of making peace. Now this doesn't mean that we have to become an absolute pacifist. That doesn't mean that we have to be a compromiser or a people pleaser. That this doesn't mean that we can never become righteously angry and upset over certain things. It doesn't even mean that we can no longer defend ourselves. And it doesn't even mean that we will always be successful at making peace with others. There are some people out there who just simply hate us. And they do not want to offer They do not want to accept the offer of the terms of peace that we give them. But being a peacemaker means that we are always offering the invitation for people to sit under our vine and under our fig tree. It means that we are welcoming. It means that we are friendly. It means that we are patient and kind. It means we're not quick to speak and quick to share our opinions, but we are quick to listen to the concerns and needs of others. Being a peacemaker means we are to seek to build bridges with others instead of tearing them down. And it means in every disagreement, in every dispute, in every conflict that we might be involved in, we are holding out the olive branch of peace. The intention of a peacemaker is to heal breaches and calm troubled storms and restore and reconcile broken relationships and bring harmony and order to messed up situations and to establish peace where there is no peace. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. Well, I want to stop here and make a few important applications from this first part of this beatitude The first is this, being a peacemaker is part and parcel of the Christian life. Now this should go without saying because it's found right here in the Beatitudes, this section of Holy Scripture that describes the essential components and characteristics of the Christian life. These words are coming from the lips of our blessed Savior. He tells us it's important, therefore it's important. But to add more gravity and weightiness to this action of making peace, just listen to some of these other passages which highlight the importance of being a peacemaker. Psalm 34, 14, which is quoted in first Peter three eleven. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans twelve eighteen if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14.19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 2 Corinthians 13.11, finally brothers rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4.3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. And Hebrews 12.14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Scriptures are clear. They command us to seek peace and pursue it, to live peaceably with all to pursue what makes for peace, to live in peace, to be at peace among ourselves and to strive for peace with everyone. Brethren, the act of peacemaking is no small thing. It's no insignificant thing. It's something we are commanded and exhorted to continually do. So may we be intentional. May we be serious about being peacemakers and this leads me to ask is there someone in your life right here and right now that you need to try to make peace with or at least give a good effort to try to make peace with somebody who has offended you or sinned against you someone you have offended and sinned against someone that you have a current controversy with well, here's a good chance to put this beatitude into practice and go and be a peacemaker. But the second application is this. Before you can be a peacemaker, God must first make peace with you. This is important for anyone who is outside of Jesus Christ to understand because there's many people out there in the world who are spending all of their efforts and energies to try to make some sort of peace here on earth. I think of the people who volunteer for the Peace Corps. They travel to other countries, they live in other cultures, they try hard to alleviate things like poverty and homelessness and starvation in this world. They are trying to bring peace on earth. And that's admirable. But here's the thing if somebody wants to be a true peacemaker according to the Word of God, if they want to make peace in a way that honors God and glorifies God and does true, lasting good to other people, they must first be at peace with God. Because by nature, we are not peaceful people. We aren't born with quiet, gentle spirits. We are born with hate-filled, violent, jealous, envious, murderous hearts. We were born with the mentality eat or be eaten, conquer or die. This is how Titus 3 3 says it. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That was us before we were Christians we hate others and others hate us or this is how the prophet isaiah says it in isaiah 57:20 20 through 21 but the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt there is no peace says my god for the wicked well that's us by nature Our wicked hearts constantly toss up muck and mire and dirt and wickedness and there is no peace for wicked people like ourselves if we remain in the filth of our native depravity. So here's the thing. There is a vital connection between all of these beatitudes but there's a vital connection between this beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, and the previous one. Blessed are the pure in heart between being a peacemaker and possessing a pure heart. And this is the connection. Only those whose hearts have been purified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ can truly go out now and make peace with others. Only those whose sins are forgiven, only those who have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ can be peacemakers. They're the only ones who have peace flowing deeply through their hearts. They're the only ones who have been cleansed of all pride and jealousy and strife and hatred and envy. They're the only ones who have hearts that are now at rest and now in tune to the will and heart of God. They no longer have this eat or be eaten mentality. They're not out there trying to compete with others. They're not out there trying to show other people that they're better than them. They're not out there wanting to win against others. They are not trying to be king of their own hills any longer. They're in the kingdom of God. They're safe. They're secure. They're resting in Jesus Christ. They have nothing to worry about. They have nothing to fear. God is their heavenly father. Jesus Christ is their savior. The Holy Spirit is their helper and comforter. Heaven is their homeland. And So the fight with God is over. And their fight with others is over. They're at peace with God. And therefore they can now seek to be at peace with their fellow man. So here's the thing. If you want to be a peacemaker, you must first experience peace from the God of peace. And that only comes by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ with your whole and entire heart. But thirdly, being a peacemaker is a sure sign of possessing a pure heart. This morning I said that purity cannot remain bottled up within our own hearts. It cannot remain a secret. It's going to manifest itself in the way that we live our lives. It's inevitable that a pure heart will seek to live a pure and holy life. Well, I think one major way Purity is seen in our lives is by us being peaceful people. Peace and purity, they're linked together. Linked together here in these Beatitudes. Linked together in other places as well in the Holy Scriptures. Listen to just a couple of these places. I just read from Hebrews 12, 14, but let me read it to you again. Strive for peace with everyone. There's peace. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's purity. Or 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So seeking to make peace with others is what purified hearts do. They've experienced peace with God through the Lord Jesus. Now they want others to experience that same kind of peace. Here's a question we have to ask ourselves. As those who profess to have purified hearts by the blood of Jesus Christ, are we also sons and daughters of peace? Are we men and women of peace? Are we counselors and teachers of peace? Are we publishers of peace? Are we makers of peace? Are you a peacemaker in your community? Are you a good citizen? Do you try your best to follow the laws of the land as long as they line up with the word of God? Do you pray for the welfare of the place where God has put you? Do you pray for the leaders that God has put over you? Do you think about the needs of people in your community, in your neighborhood, even somebody who lives next door to you? And do you seek to meet those needs? And most of all, do you seek ways to get the gospel of peace out to your lost neighbors, friends, and loved ones? Are you a peacemaker in your community? Are you a peacemaker in your church? We are to be eager to maintain The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It should be vitally important for us. Well, how well are you doing that? Remember, churches can be so fragile. All it takes is just a little unrest, a little division, a little conflict within a church. And that church, even if it was healthy, even if it was good, can be shattered into a million pieces. So is the peace of this particular church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, something you highly prize and work hard for? Are you one who encourages your pastors or one who always questions and criticizes and complains against them? Do you speak well of other church members or do you gossip about them behind their backs? Are you slow to speak and quick to listen to the needs of others Are you too busy always talking about yourself? Are you approachable? Are you easy to get along with? Or are you closed off and very difficult and hard to get to know? And do you actively seek to build up and strengthen this body of believers? Or are you one who secretly sows seeds of discord among the brethren? Are you a peacemaker in your church? But finally, are you a peacemaker in your family? Are you a firefighter or a fire starter within your home? Are you the source of family feuds or the killer of family feuds? Are you a peacemaker or a taker in your house? Fathers and husbands, can your kids and your wife come to you without feeling like they have to walk on eggshells? Is there an atmosphere of fear and dread of what you might do if someone does one tiny little thing to upset you? Or do you as the head of your home infuse your home with this sense of peace, comfort, calmness, quietness? Do you govern your home with a level head and a calm spirit and a loving heart? Wives and mothers, Do you have that gentle and quiet spirit that the Apostle Peter speaks of in 1 Peter chapter 3? Or are you one who likes to nag? Are you somewhat of a drama queen within your home? Do you like to get under the skin of your husband and provoke him to anger? Or are you perpetually irritated with your kids and discontent with your life? Do you have that gentle and quiet spirit that humbly trusts God and submits to your husband and delights in your motherly duties? Or do you find yourself doing the very opposite of those things? Children, there's a word to you. Children, do you sweetly and calmly obey your parents? Or is everything a fight and a battle with you? Are you one who finds yourself complaining and whining and grumbling about the things that you have to do around the house, do you make life in the home very difficult and hard for your parents and other siblings? We all need to be reminded that God does not call us to strife and enmity and war, but God calls us all to peace. And He's called us to be peacemakers. So we need to evaluate how we are doing in the peacemaking department and we need to beg God to help us grow in striving for peace with all people. Those in our community, those in our church, those in our home. So that's the the peaceful description found in the first part of this beatitude. Secondly, let's consider the blessed designation found in the second part of this beatitude. The reason why the peacemakers here are such blessed and happy people is found in the second half of this beatitude. Jesus says of them, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. It is a wonderful, glorious title that those who have been adopted into the family of God receive. They were once alienated from God, separated from God, enemies of God, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they now become children of the living God. God becomes their heavenly Father, and they become his adopted children. And here, it is the peacemakers that are called sons of God. Other men certainly call them this, but most importantly, God calls them this. God calls them my son and my daughter. But why are the peacemakers given this special designation? What is it about being a peacemaker that shows one is a son or a daughter of God? Well, this is why I think this is so. Peacemakers are those who bear the family resemblance of God. There are those who look like and act like their Father who is in heaven. Remember, the devil is the author of all confusion, chaos, violence, bloodshed, and war. He was a troublemaker from the beginning, and he will always be one. He is the one who continues to seek to steal and kill and destroy, but God is the God of peace. He's called the God of peace over and over again throughout the scriptures. He is one who is at peace within himself. He is completely calm and serene and content. Nothing troubles God. Nothing agitates God. Nothing makes him anxious or worried. God is perfectly and happily blessed within himself. He's the God of peace. But he's also the God who makes peace. He is the great peacemaker. And we can look at various ways how he makes peace with people on earth. But the greatest way that our God makes peace is through the gospel of peace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament spoke of a day when God would make a covenant of peace with sinners. Where they would be safe and secure for all eternity. And he has done this. He has made this covenant of peace by sending his own eternally begotten son into this world. One of the glorious titles of Christ is found in Isaiah chapter 9 where He is called the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is not characterized by strife and violence and war, but His kingdom is marked by peace, everlasting peace. And He has come from heaven to establish His peaceful reign and kingdom on earth. He came to carry out the will of His Father to guide sinners like us into the way of peace. But making this peace was no easy thing. Making this peace came at a great, great cost to God. God is the God of peace, but He is also the thrice holy God that cannot wink at sin, that cannot overlook our sin, that cannot agree to disagree about our rebellion and sin against Him. He must punish sin. He is holy, He is just, He does not play around with sin, He must punish sin. And so the peace treaty God accomplished was signed in the blood of His precious Son. God was the one who so delights in making peace with sinners that He ended up judging and condemning and crushing and putting to death His only begotten and beloved Son on the cross. He poured out the full measure of His wrath upon His sinless Son so that we as sinners could have peace with Him. He's the great peacemaker. And He constantly offers these terms of peace to sinners day in and day out. Even if they rebel against it, even if they reject it, He continues to offer these terms of peace to them to their very last breath. And for those who have accepted this great Gospel of peace. God continually pours out peace upon us. How many times do we read in the New Testament epistles, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The, the God of peace wants us to know His peace and be reminded of His peace and experience His peace and enjoy His peace. He delights in pouring out peace upon us. God wants to give you peace at all times in every way. Peace in your anxieties and troubles. Peace when Satan tempts you. Peace in your relationships. peace, Peace in your church life. Peace in your own hearts. And especially peace as you're on your deathbed. So the point is, God is the God of peace. God loves to make peace. God loves to show Himself as the God of peace. And so the sons of God act like God in making peace. There are laborers on Earth, they are His image-bearers on Earth. They are His own special peace corps, who are sent out into the Earth to carry out His will, to publish the good news of peace to sinners and to bring peace to this world. So here's the thing: Peacemakers are fittingly called sons and daughters of God because they are reflecting and imaging forth to this world their peacemaking and peaceful Heavenly Father. So they receive this title now, but they will also be openly acknowledged as the sons of God on the day of judgment. So here's an application that we can draw from this. The fact that Christians... Our sons of God who are to model and pattern their peacemaking activities after the peacemaking activities of God is very, very important for all of us to grasp. Because as you look out there in the world, there are many worldly ways that people are trying to make peace that we as Christians should not participate in. Again, our peacemaking activities are modeled after the peacemaking activities of God. It's very instructive for us. We're sons of God. So we're to make peace like he makes peace. So this means a couple things. First, being a peacemaker does not mean being an oppressor. This is what oppressive governments and regimes do to those under them. They try to bring about some sort of peaceful, utopian society. uh, But they do it in a heavy-handed way. They do it by intimidating people and manipulating people and controlling people and threatening people. Just think of the country of North Korea. The North Korean government wants us to believe it's a country full of order, prosperity, and peace. But we know that's all superficial. Things might be order it, in order in that country, but it's only because the citizens live in constant fear Of punishment and death but that's not only how some countries govern over their citizens families can be like this too even churches can be like this where family members or church members can all have a big smile on their faces everything looks nice and neat and orderly but it's only because the leaders who govern them do so with a heavy hand And everyone living underneath that heavy hand lives in fear of what might happen to them if they get out of line. Well, this is not true peace. This is abuse. God doesn't make peace with sinners through threatenings and oppression and heavy-handedness. Instead, God makes peace with sinners through love and mercy and grace. He doesn't issue some sort of royal decree from heaven saying, accept my terms of peace or else. Instead, he condescends. He, in a sense, humbles himself. God the Son, the exalted and glorious King over all creation, took on human flesh and sacrificed himself and poured out his precious blood to make peace with sinners. Sinners. And then he graciously offers this peace and himself. He invites sinners to come to him and experience comfort and rest and peace. So he did it all. So for us, for us to make peace, and for us to establish peace, for us to experience peace. And so I'm just saying that our peacemaking activities must be full of mercy, just like it's full of mercy when it comes to God making peace with us. One of the Beatitudes is blessed is the merciful. So our peacemaking must be full of mercy. It's all too easy to force superficial peace upon others. But we need to act like God. We need to be like God. We need to win over hearts by showing people through our sincere desires and our sacrificial labors that we truly care about them and seek their ultimate good. So, it doesn't mean being an oppressor. But secondly, being a peacemaker does not mean being an appeaser. You guys know what appeasement means? It means making concessions with others in order to avoid conflict. But it's often at the sacrifice of foundational principles. Sadly, this happens a lot in parenting. Parenting. Maybe you've been at the grocery store, you're standing in line to pay for your groceries and standing in front of you is a little kid who's whining and crying and throwing a hissy fit because he didn't get the candy that he wanted to get right there at the counter. So he's whining and crying to his mother. and His mother at first says, no, you cannot have that piece of candy. But he's making this big giant scene and everybody's looking at them So in order to avoid this sort of conflict and to avoid this sort of scene, the mother gives in. She compromises. She knows this little child doesn't need this piece of candy and she probably knows this little child needs to be disciplined for his or her rebellion. But she gives in. And she gives the kid what he wants. Well, that's called appeasement, not peacemaking. Parents, please don't do that to your children and Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, please don't do that to anyone. Because God is not an appeaser. God did not compromise or sacrifice any principles or standards of His holiness and justice in order to make peace. That on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness and peace came together and kissed each other. God's justice had to be completely satisfied by the blood of Christ if the path of forgiveness and the path of peace would ever be opened up to us. So that means in all of our peacemaking efforts with others, we must not compromise any truths of the Christian faith. Yes, our peace must be full of mercy, but it must also be grounded in righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And therefore, in our peacemaking activities, we must continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That doesn't mean that there can't be some give and take or negotiating. But it means that we must stand upon the principles of righteousness and never bend when it concerns what God says in His Word. So, peacemaking is not sporting the coexist bumper sticker on the back of your car. I mean, I'm fine with living among all different kinds of religious faiths and beliefs, but that's not what that bumper sticker means. Right, it means that we should tolerate them and accept them and be welcoming to them and, and to say that they have a seat at the table as well. That's not peace. It's not sitting around a campfire holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's not telling others, you do you and I'll do me. And we'll live in perfect harmony. It's not having the mentality peace at any cost. It's not proclaiming peace, peace when there is no peace. Brethren, we must not cheapen peace of its preciousness. We must not gut peace of its glory. True peace is defined by God. True peace was bought and paid for with the costly and precious blood of Jesus Christ. And true peace only comes to sinners when they lay down their weapons of warfare, they wave the white flag of defeat and surrender, they accept the terms of the gospel of peace, and they bow down and kiss the feet of the Prince of Peace. And so being a peacemaker is no easy thing. It's tough work. Sometimes peace can only be accomplished through blood and sweat and tears. Sometimes it's made through pain and suffering and sacrifice. The greatest example is what Jesus did on the cross. It was only through pain and suffering and sacrifice that peace could truly flow to us. And sometimes peace is misunderstood and rejected by those we are trying to show it to. I think this is especially true as we go out and preach the gospel of peace to others. People may think we're being troublemakers, disturbers of our communities. They may think that we're trying to turn the world upside down. They thought that about the apostles of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself. But here's the thing, that gives us no right to tinker with or tamper with the terms of the gospel of peace, just to make it more appeasing and palatable to the ears and mouths of sinners. We must not water down the gospel. We must not lower the standards of God's law. We must not falsely give comfort and assurance to people who are still living in their sins. If people don't want this kind of peace, we must not give in. We must not compromise. We must not fold. We must not act like everything is okay when it's not. Instead, God calls us to lovingly but boldly proclaim the gospel of peace. And if people hate us for it, if they're offended by the very message of the gospel, if they smell it as the aroma of death, then the Bible gives us instructions about what to do. We're not to give in, but we're to shake the dust off of our feet and move on to someone else who might be willing to listen to us. So please, please, whether you're parenting your kids, whether you're counseling others, whether you're revolve, uh, resolving disputes or whether you're evangelizing the lost, do not be an appeaser. That is the easy road to take. Right? I, just, I don't want conflict any longer and so I'm just going to act like there's peace. I'm just going to give in. I'm just going to compromise. Please don't do that. Don't be a compromiser, but reflect the peace of God in all your peacemaking activities. Here's the last thing I want to say before we close. Do you see the vital importance of being a peacemaker? The reason why being a peacemaker is so important is not just because there are many commands in the Scriptures telling us to pursue after and make peace with others. That's important. But I think the biggest reason is because peacemaking is so close to the heart of our God. So close, in fact, that those who imitate him in making peace are called his sons and daughters. Peacemaking is not some characteristic foreign to God. Something far distant from him. Something that he has no understanding of peacemaking is what he's known for it's what delights him it is what he constantly shows to his church and it's what he graciously offers to his enemies so let's not just see this as some kind of bare command we must obey I mean if God commands it we must obey it period end of story he is the sovereign God he tells us what to do but it's not just that Let's see it as a divine commission to reflect the glory of God and to reveal the heart of God to all the peoples of this world. Let's see it as one of the blessed effects of being redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's see it as the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God works in our hearts and souls to make us more like Christ. And let's see it as one of the greatest evidences or a great evidence that will be brought forward on the day of judgment to show whether we are part of the children of God or the children of the devil. And for any sinner out here today, by the grace of God, I am an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I implore you here and now to be reconciled to God accept His peace treaty, signed in the blood of His Son, accept the Lord Jesus Christ, this perfect, sinless Savior, who was made to be sin on the cross. Christ was crushed. Christ was thrown into a panic, into chaos, into confusion. Christ was mocked. Christ was humiliated. Christ was mistreated. Christ was crucified. And worst of all, Christ experienced the fiery wrath and awful judgment of God. Right? He did not experience peace while he hung there on that cross. Why? So that sinners like you can experience peace with God. So that you can become the righteousness of God. So that you can know God as your heavenly Father. The good news to you is this holy, holy, holy God is willing to be reconciled to you. doesn't have to be that way. He would be totally holy and righteous and just to send us all to hell. But this holy God is the God of peace and He is willing to be reconciled to you. He is willing to be at peace with you. He's not only willing to put down His weapons of warfare that are pointed at you, but He is also willing to be your God to be your friend, and to be your heavenly father. So right now, God is offering you, dear sinner, to come under his vine and under his fig tree. He is inviting you to come and eat of the tree of life and drink from the river of life. So come now. Come and take hold of Jesus Christ. Come now and take hold of this great protection, this great refuge, this great Savior and make peace with God and find comfort and everlasting rest for your soul. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these beatitudes. They are so instructive and deep and robust. But Lord, we barely scratch the surface. But from what We know of this Um, after this sermon. Please nail these things deeply into our hearts and souls. Help us to care about being peacemakers. May this be important to us, O God. We are so often plagued with anger and malice and envy and jealousy. Lord, forgive us of our great sins. Help us to reflect you, the God of peace. to to show that we are sons and daughters of peace, to publish the good news of peace. How beautiful it is for those who come and publish these wonderful words of peace. Help us to be those sort of people. And so, Lord, may You be glorified. May You be glorified by our deeds. May others who are outside of Christ see our good works and glorify You, our Father who is in heaven. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.